We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Today we're going to discuss the Young Corps fit, what we've seen in the first 11 games, which is a stretch of games that we talked about even prior to the season and looking at the schedule going, huh. This is the stretch the Lakers need to get through at the beginning of the year, and they're at five and six, which I think is about where Darius and I had them figured. And we also have a bit of a sample of what the young core looks like alongside LeBron James. We're going to start out with Lonzo Ball because he's the one that's had perhaps the roughest go of it so far. I asked Luke about the finish to the Minnesota game, which the Lakers won, but Derrick Rose was pretty hot. And I asked Luke, I said, hey, you know, was there any thought given to getting Lonzo back into the game for defensive reasons, considering how hot Derrick Rose was. And Luke said they were considering both Lonzo and Josh Hart in place of Rondo and Tyson Chandler. But they decided to stick with it because they liked Chandler's rebounding and how Rondo was being a point guard out there. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Darius. What were You were a little bit on the irritated side when I saw you on Twitter uh, that night. After having a little bit of time to digest it, what are your thoughts on where Lonzo's at in this process of kind of figuring out a new role in a new environment? So I've got a variety of thoughts on this, and I'm not sure if this is exactly going to answer your question, but I'm just going to... Yeah, no, just riff on it, man. Just brain dump on you anyway. Um, All right. (laughs) First, I don't think Luke's comments about the positives that Rondo was bringing to, to the floor are any sort of indictment against Lonzo Ball. I think that too often 
we're quick to sort of take a compliment given to one person who we then see in direct competition with another person and view that compliment as then like throwing shade towards the other person. And I didn't take those comments this way at all. Rondo is a 10-year veteran in this league. He brings a certain amount of experience and leadership. There were post-game quotes after the game, which Luke offered and Tyson Chandler offered, that Rondo was really being a good aide and sort of director of sorts for Tyson Chandler in that final stretch of the game. And if that's the case, and that unit was playing fairly well together, I can understand sticking with Rondo. That's my sort of next day after I slept on it perspective. In the moment, watching Derrick Rose sort of get to spots on the floor that that he wanted to, watch him hit uncontested and then contested jumpers, I wanted Rondo out of the game. I wanted him out out of the game from a defensive standpoint. And then even before maybe the final three, three and a half minute stretch where I thought Rondo was doing a much better job of helping to sort of control the nature of the game through those point guard type stuff that I think Luke was was referring to. I wanted Rondo out of the game around the six or seven minute mark of the fourth quarter because I thought he was dribbling the air out of the ball. The offense was sort of stalling and his defense was poor. And so... I was calling for his head at that point, and I didn't think up to that point of the game, Rondo had played particularly well to begin with. The first tweet that I sent out during the game was actually during Rondo's first shift. And I said, Rondo needs to get out out of the game. And I sort of said, LOL, because he was just playing poorly. And when Rondo plays poorly offensively, That's when I think he needs to have a shorter leash because his defense is not up to par. And he doesn't have a ton of defensive energy in a way that impacts the game. And so I thought Lonzo was at the opposite end of the spectrum in this specific game. He came out with a lot of energy. He was really whipping the ball around the court. He was showing good defensive effort, and he was really bothering Derrick Rose, which is why I heard your post-game question to Luke, and I thought it was the proper way to frame the question because it's not like Lonzo was doing anything substantial offensively. I thought he should have been in the game for for defensive purposes. To the point of Rondo's point guardy type of things. And he is a very different type of player than Lonzo is. I you know, I've always contended that Lonzo is a two in the half court situations, but let's say they're both point guards. They are very different types of point guards. And my question to you is how much do those point guardy things matter when LeBron James is on the court? And even I, I ask that most specifically in the last six minutes of a game type of scenario where he's going to be the guy with the ball in his hands a disproportionate amount of the time compared to the rest of the game. I get, you know, having Rondo running the action in the late third quarter, right? And LeBron might be on the court, but he doesn't want to be the guy that's kind of orchestrating things. And so you have a guy like Rondo doing that. What's the value of that in the last few minutes when LeBron's going to have the ball and they're going to go one, four flat, or, you know, just give him the ball and it's going to be stagnant. Everybody's watching. The reason I'm asking is because you change your mind 
on it, right? And even for and for me, even after a day of thinking about it and chewing on the different angles from Luke, and they won the game, right? But I I wonder what the added value of Rondo was. I think it's more than zero, but probably less than like twenty five percent or twenty five if we're grading on a scale to a hundred. There I think are plenty of possessions where it's good to just sort of have this organizing guy who sort of does see the floor and understand the game in a way where he does sort of move the chess pieces around to start possessions. LeBron is probably going to start eight out of every 10 possessions. I think it was John Schumann. He tweeted out usage rates in clutch situations this season. And LeBron, I think, is ranked sixth or seventh in the league. And the Lakers have had a lot of clutch situation games. A lot of close games so far, yeah. And and I think LeBron's usage rate in clutch situations is around 40%. And so you're you're 100% right with what you're saying in terms of LeBron is going to dictate a fair amount of the action. I just don't know if he's going to dictate every single possession. I think he would if Lonzo was on the court. I think when Rondo was on the court, it might actually give LeBron a bit of a reprieve to not have to start every possession, and maybe there's value in that. And that's like an open question. I would just argue that that's the value of being able to do that every few possessions or so, which they did not really do down the stretch of that game. Uh, it is not exceeded by the discrepancy in defensive ability. I would agree with you 100%. I would also say, too, that this goes back to a bit of the conversation that we've had in recent discussions, which is... The proper, what I think is the proper slotting of personnel and placing people into proper roles. I would be more than happy to say play Lonzo because he is the better defensive player. Give LeBron his same usage in that 40 to 42 or 45% range, right? Like this top 10 number in terms of usage in games that are close late and if you want a secondary ball handler continue to groom Brandon Ingram in that role I mean I don't see an issue with saying okay Lonzo you can go stand in the corner and be a player who is a superior cutter to Rondo he is a higher volume and more trustworthy I think three-point shooter He is just as good a ball mover, and I would say even if he doesn't have the experience of sort of playing that high-level mental game that Rondo can play from a strategic standpoint, I think he has a very good basketball IQ and is going to be a good decision maker in those situations. So I would lean playing Lonzo and sort of reorganizing what the roles are in terms of the people who you're putting the ball in their hands. And and I would up the usage some on the Brandon Ingram side rather than saying, okay, my secondary guy here is going to be Rajon Rondo. So Lonzo's been inconsistent in terms of his effort level and his level of engagement. And I think part of that, and I've seen, even in the Toronto game, as bad as the team was, I was actually fairly happy with Lonzo's start to that game. He had foul trouble. But I think Lonzo is starting to figure out how to play at his pace with LeBron on the floor and without having quite as many of the on-ball responsibilities as he did before. The, The problem for the Lakers, and for Lonzo specifically, 
with the idea of him being more of a two or of an off-ball player in the half court, as I've always argued, is that he is a three and D guy right now and as a spot-up shooter, where my opinion of what kind of two he is, is he's a motion offense type of player. And I think that that is a distinct split on this roster that I I don't know if it will be reconciled over the course of this season, where I see you've got four core guys that are motion offense type players in Lonzo, Kuzma, Hart, and KCP. I also think you've got four guys, and I'm talking on the perimeter here, that are more ball dominant type of guys in LeBron, Ingram, Rondo, and Lance. And I think those are two distinct styles that, as it pertains to Lonzo, he's trying to figure out how to fit in as an off-ball player within a different type of style. Does that make sense? It does. So what is your evaluation of just kind of how it's all fitting for him so far? I would say it's fitting okay. Look, I hate to keep going back to this, but... The situation that you just described in terms of these general player archetypes really comes down to like roster construction again. Mm -hmm. And this is where I give Luke a little bit more rope than other people do, because I think figuring all of this out is actually kind of more difficult than what people like you and I even who yeah. try to watch the game at like a high level and and really look at it from these these big perspectives and, and seeing the whole board that even sometimes I feel like we make it seem easy. I tweeted something out the other day that got a lot of like blowback from a variety of different fans. And it was this idea about Brad Stevens. And I don't know if you saw the tweet that I put <laughs> it out there. I did. Yeah. Um, basically, the premise of the tweet was, you know, Luke Walton gets a fair amount of flack as sort of this this strategic mind. And this guy who who can sort of coach from a scheme or X's and O's standpoint. And Brad Stevens is a guy who's who has this reputation that is elevated in that very specific way. And I was just asking the question, why is it that Brad Stevens can have an offense that's basically in the bottom third of the league and the Lakers have been hovering around the top 10? And so I thought it was an interesting juxtaposition to sort of frame it this way in that Luke is not this strategy king, but yet he has his team, which has a lot of new parts and a lot of new pieces and a lot of adjustments and a lot of playing time issues with wings specifically that is playing, you know, top 10 level offense. And Brad Stevens, who has player adjustments with with not necessarily a new team because all of these guys were actually on the team last year, but guys returning from injury and a wing heavy team where he's trying to sort out a rotation. I I thought Brad Stevens is facing a lot of similar issues and yet his team is is underperforming a fair amount. And some of the comments, some of them were not thoughtful at all that I got back. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) Um, But some of them were basically, it's early. He's sorting through a lot of lineup stuff. And I thought, you know what? That's fair. I say all that to bring it back to, to this point that even a guy who is considered one of the top coaches in well, well in the league in Brad Stevens, I think he's facing very similar issues to Luke Walton. 
and it's not easy and it's not always just just do this and this is going to work and here you go right boom and everything is going to work because that's not how it happens you and i have had this lineup discussion over multiple weeks sort of going back and forth about who should play and what groupings work and and how are we going to sort out the usage rate of all of these guys and two-man pairings and three-man pairings and five-man groupings and all of this stuff. And honestly, man, like I changed my mind three or four times about some of this stuff and what type of rotation I actually think will work as we actually get more data to see what lineups are working and what aren't working. Before we got on the pod, you had mentioned that you wanted to discuss the new start or the starting lineup that's been out there now since everyone returned from 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 suspension. And, and I think that this is a good segue to that because the starting lineup that is out there now is one that you and I both wanted to see. And how's it been performing? They haven't been good, man. Like, it, they played well against Dallas, and that's it. I want to step back from the data and numbers, right? And just from, I want to take a more visceral perspective. There's no pop to that lineup. They're slow, right? And not in a, you know, you line these five guys up, can they win a foot race? There's just, it's not a lively lineup. Everything is hard for that lineup on the offensive end. And then they're a step behind on their rotations, on chasing guys around screens, on tagging from the weak side. On both ends of the court, I don't see a, hey, they're on to something type of thing. It's, they've played five games together, this starting lineup, right? I guess my question for you is, I know you know that they haven't played well. How long is the leash? Like, how, at, at, at what point do you make a change? And then what does that change look like? I'm ready to make a change. Already? I am. Okay. Um... What have you seen? First, before you tell me what the change is, what, is, what, is, what have you seen and why they haven't been performing well? I think your point about just them being a step slow is one that's very well made and one that's not really made enough. I think you've also made a really good point on the last podcast that, that we had that they are not seeing the benefits of being this big. Their rebounding isn't that great. Although I will say that their defensive rebounding percentage is actually like at 80, which is much better than their normal defensive rebounding percentage for the season, which is around 73 and a half. But they're not like really beasting on like the offensive glass or they're not generating like a bunch of turnovers or right it's not this like long switchy lineup that so for example we were recording this i was just watching milwaukee destroy golden state and milwaukee's a team that like their length is is applied they they apply it to in-game situations and you're like jesus these guys are like there's arms absolutely everywhere you don't really see that with the big lineup for the lakers no it's and they have point of attack issues and so here's the thing is that I actually think that this specific lineup with LeBron, Kuzma, and McGee together as the front court, that specific pairing is going to have real defensive issues. I just think that you have Kuzma and LeBron. So Kuzma is someone who remains engaged but isn't very good. You had a good video about sort of some of his um, 
poor defensive tendencies, and and we've spoken about those at length, like on the pod. LeBron is someone who is not engaged as often as you would like. He was pretty engaged against Minnesota, which was good to see. And McGee is engaged, but doesn't necessarily have the level of awareness that you want. And he's limited too, right? Like he's a, a drop coverage guy. That's why he was, he's near the top of the NBA in block shots, but you're going to be vulnerable to pick and pops and, and things like that. Like he can do what he does and he does have awareness issues, but just him being capable in where he's capable isn't always good enough. Yeah, that's exactly right. So here's a couple of three-man groupings that I think sort of tell a story. And I'm going to get back to the numbers here because I think in this case the numbers matter, is that LeBron, Kuzma, and McGee have been on the floor together for 171 minutes. That's actually the second highest for any three-man grouping on well, on the Lakers. And their defensive rating is 111.4, which is bad. One of the best defensive trios that the Lakers have is when Lonzo, Hart, and LeBron share the floor. And they've shared the floor for 108 minutes, so a bit of a smaller sample. And all of these samples are small, but their defensive rating is 103.7. One of the questions you asked me was, are you ready to make a change? And what would that change look like? The change I'm ready to make is for Hart to go back to the starting lineup. And I'm going to ask you first, A, if you agree, and B, then who would you swap Hart for? I do agree. And you might be surprised to hear this. I would do it for Kuzma. And the reason for that is I think they are still in the figuring things out stage and figuring out what lineups that they have. I feel like I've seen enough of the lineup where it's Kuzma instead of Ingram when Ingram was out. They've played 50 minutes together. That five-man group has a defensive rating of 99.1, and they were good. Like they were, That was a good group of, of guys. So I feel like they have one lineup consisting of their primary guys. Remember in the last show we talked about the six or seven yeah. main group, right? They have one lineup version of that that is at least the early returns are good. They tried another one of those, and the early returns on that are bad. And that's the lineup we've seen the most of, 76 minutes from the current starting lineup, minus 11.5 net rating. And we've already said the reasons that we think they've been bad. I would like to give another variation of it a shot with the idea in mind that you have that Lonzo Hart, Kuzma, LeBron, JaVale lineup in your back pocket. You can go to that, but you're going to need more than one version of that. And the version without Kuzma, I think that that has higher defensive potential. I think that you can hit a higher ceiling. Anthony made this point earlier today, and I, I agree with him, where you can get more out of that group if it works out. So th that's my rationale for it. I I'm guessing that that's the change you would make, but I'll let you confirm that and give me the reasons why. Yeah, it is the change that I would make. And really, it comes down to two factors, which is going to sound stupid when I say it, but my two factors are offense and defense. Um, <laughs> this is very hard-hitting stuff right here. Y yes, I, can't, you I can't wait for you to dive into this for three minutes. So hashtag analysis. Um, yes. Since we're going to make a direct comparison between Hart and Kuzma, offensively, I actually think they're quite similar players in terms of how they finish plays. 
and how they fit next to LeBron. I think that Hart is a guy who's going to shoot three-pointers in high volume. And Hart is a player who can attack closeouts and who can be a really strong player in transition. And that is the same exact profile that Kyle Kuzma offers. Kuzma, can, can I jump in? Please. Can I jump in real quick? The thing about Kuzma is you can run half-court actions for Kuzma in a way that you can't do for Hart. That's right. right. Like a lot of the plays that they're running, like in a half-court setting, Kuzma is the recipient of that and is scoring at a high clip if he's got his issues in other areas, but he's scoring at a high clip alongside LeBron in a way that, and that, that may be an issue with this lineup, right, is that who do you run those for that can finish them the way that Kuzma can? But please continue. Yeah, I think that... So I think that they would need to tweak a couple of things, but we're going to get to that in in a second because it, it comes back to this discussion about player roles that I think is important. But from a finishing standpoint and sort of a profile from like if you were breaking down um, numbers in like synergy, right, which are like play type and how you finish and what play types you will you use, I would say that Hart and Kuzma are going to carry a similar profile. Not identical, but similar. From a defensive standpoint, I like the trio of Hart, LeBron, Ingram more than I like the trio of LeBron, Ingram, and Kuzma. A, because I think Hart is a better defender than Kuzma, but B, because I think it offers a little bit more versatility because of Josh Hart's defensive versatility. I actually think that when those three guys are in the lineup together, that you can point out two, three, four, and on most nights against, you you know, league average or, or starter quality players, you could tell LeBron you get to guard the worst offensive player between all of those guys. That's a good way of putting it. And that's there's a lot of value in that. And you can't do that with Kuzma in the lineup. You can try to do it. They tried to do it against the Timberwolves. And they put Kuzma on Carl Anthony Towns. When in theory, that probably should have been LeBron's matchup. But what they had to do was, is the Wolves are built in a very specific way where it is Butler, Wiggins, and Towns are their three best offensive players, basically. And LeBron took Wiggins so that Ingram could guard Butler. And they put the center on Taj Gibson after figuring out, no, Towns is going to hover too much around the three-point line, so we're going to put Kuzma on him. The issue was was that Kuzma had no chance against Towns, and Towns yeah. looked really good early. And it wasn't really until later in the game or as the game went on that Tyson Chandler started to get legitimate minutes against Towns that Towns started to slow down. I go back to the Portland game as like a pretty important game that sort of helped solidify this idea for me. And it was all of those possessions that Josh Hart got against Zach Collins, where Hart was essentially playing shooting guard on on offense and on defense, he was playing defensive power forward. And that sort of opened my eyes a little bit that Hart has just enough defensive versatility that you can say, okay, like LeBron, you don't have to guard that guy. Now, I will say against Toronto, they put Josh Hart on on Pascal Siakam and Siakam ate his lunch 
but Toronto kicked the Lakers' butts all over the floor. So I I don't find that especially useful for this yeah. conversation, although it's a data point that remains relevant in, in its own way. A side note to this, though, is you were talking about, well, the Lakers run plays for Kuzma in the half court. And who's going to sort of take on the bulk of those possessions or who are you going to run those those plays for one of the biggest themes that's going to come out of this season for me is how the fit between Brandon Ingram and LeBron James develops and I think the more emphasis you put on trying to develop that the more gains you're going to get from that late will later in the season either because it starts to work or okay, maybe this doesn't work and that plays into your long-term thinking. But I think you need to figure that out. One of the reasons why I would move Kuzma out as well is to sort of elevate Ingram in a way where the Lakers could try to start to feature him a little bit more in ways that mean something for Brandon Ingram and hopefully translate to team success. I think it's something that in theory could work and perhaps should work. I'm more skeptical that it would from a mentality standpoint. My observation is that Brandon very much sees himself as a give me the ball, I'm going to go make something happen out of it. And that that is his current state and he's going to be an all-star caliber player at doing that in the future. I've often spoken of him as a, a jack of all trades, like a 7 out of 10 type of guy in a bunch of different categories. That's all great. You know, for me at home recording a podcast, right? Brandon doesn't see himself that way. And I think there's always going to be tension there and there's going to be there's going to be a dissonance with that so long as that's the case. I think Brandon needs to embrace the idea of being able to operate off of LeBron rather than parallel to LeBron, if that makes sense, in terms of like, you know, okay, now I'm gonna run the high ball screen and go to work and look to attack off of that. He stepped into a couple of threes, and it like when he's open, he's knocked them down. But there have been so many difficult, contested mid-range jumpers, so many possessions where he's forced something and he turned it over. Most encouraging thing about to me about the game against Minnesota was the six assists. And can he get back to that? If if he can become a guy who makes better decisions out of those. You know, then you can move LeBron off the ball a little bit. You can kind of satisfy what Brandon wants, uh, or at least my perception of what he wants a little bit more, and things can work out a little bit better. I'm just concerned that that's just not the mentality that he's coming from. But don't you want to try to build towards that? And and how do you do it? Yeah, I I do want to build toward that. I, I do think they could work together. So it's an interesting thing. You go to Basketball Reference and you look at Brandon Ingram's stats. And for all the talk and everything you said is true, the number of contested twos and some of the difficult shots and everything else, his two-point field goal percentage is up two full percentage points from last season. So he's shooting 50.6% on twos. His three-point shooting percentage is up by 1%. He's a clean 40% from three on slightly higher volume Last year, he took 1.8 threes per, per game, and this year, he's he's up to 2.1. His per-minute scoring is slightly up. Where he's down is in assists and in rebounds, and 
his turnovers are a little bit up. I think the way that you try to get him towards this space where you're saying, you know, can the playmaking return? And can he be a little bit more of a diverse offensive player? I think some of that is giving him the ball more so that not every possession that he's getting the ball is going to be like, okay, just like it's your turn to shoot. And I also think that some of this is going to come down to what are we doing schematically within that empowerment to try to facilitate some of the things that we want from him. What you're talking about is sort of this long-term growth and, and these tweaks and, and evolution towards the player that is best going to complement LeBron while also being someone who can be leaned on in situations to move LeBron to the side when it's beneficial to the team because the production and the level of efficiency and the playmaking all make it so that, you know what, LeBron doesn't have to do everything. I actually think the only way to really do do that is to actually empower him in order to get him to the point where he can then settle into something that matters or that more fits what you're describing, rather than saying, here is the box, go stand in it. A couple things with that. I think that it requires a certain amount of investment, and I don't know if Luke has the capital to do that in that I think the offense, which has been relatively good despite, you know, schematic complaints and and things like that, like the offense has been good this year. I think that you take a step back the more you put the ball in Brandon's hands early on. Now, that's with the idea in mind that the payoff is that he is able to improve at that, absorb some of those duties, and you're in a better place come January, February. I think this is more of a like conversation that Luke needs to have with him rather yeah. more than anything else, just in terms of mentality. And one of my things that I've noticed, you mentioned about the assist being down, but the turnovers being up, right? The assist being down is not something that is surprising. He has the ball in his hands less, and there are more ball handlers and assist getters on the team this year. That is, is not a surprise. What is a surprise is that his turnovers are up for the same reasons. He has the balls, ball in his hands less. Why is he turning the ball over more? What I've noticed with him is he goes long enough sometimes without getting the ball that when he does get the ball in a half court situation, I think he thinks like, okay, this is my chance to get a shot up. Yes. And he's really forcing that. And the game against Minnesota was one of the times where it was like, you know, he had that sweet drive and dish to JaVale, like dumped it off behind his back and, you know, made a couple of, I think he hit Kuzma off of a UCLA cut and plays like that are the right plays to make. If he's making the right play, it is also going to reduce his shot attempts. If they don't make the lineup change and he's still playing alongside Kuzma, that's going to be exacerbated even more. Is he going to be okay with being like, all right, I may go several minutes without getting, not necessarily getting a shot up, but getting much in the way of touches. First off, do you agree with, or have you seen something similar in him where he kind of presses like, oh, I finally got my touch. I'm going to like try and make something of it because I'm a scorer and I want to get my shots up when I can, so I'm going to force it. Have you seen that too? I have, but I wouldn't quite frame it in the way that you're framing it. I would say that Brandon Ingram has been... Let me say this. From the time that Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka 
were hired. What has been the rhetoric that has been used around Brandon Ingram from this front office? Do you remember before last season, this kid's going to be our leading scorer? He's, he's going to be a 20 point per game guy. I'll be disappointed point, if right? he's not. Yeah. All of that stuff, I think, plays into this idea that they want Brandon to be aggressive. And I think Brandon wants to be aggressive. So I think it's a double-edged sword, right? You're talking about this idea of, I haven't touched it in, in a long time. Now's my chance to go get get a shot. I think it's more along the lines of, they want me aggressive. Now I've got the ball. It's time to be aggressive. You talked about the Minnesota game as this thing where you know what stood out to you was like the six assists and the playmaking was sort of back. Do you know what happened in in the Minnesota game and well in terms of the rotation? Who didn't play? Lance. A few podcasts ago, what did I talk about in terms of empowerment and who should the Lakers be investing in and who does that need to come at the expense of? Yeah. Building a rotation that is sort of trying to play to the strengths of the players within the context of these are our core guys and what are their roles going going to be and and who should the Lakers be investing in. So if the Lakers are going to roll out this proposed starter starting lineup that we would like to see, I would again say who should the first sub out be? Maybe it should be Brandon Ingram. Mm -hmm. And it should be, for this time, Kyle Kuzma. Then you get that same group that is a sample that has shown that they can be successful so far. It's the lineup that played five games together and has the 50-minute sample from when Brandon was was suspended. And like I said, when, when LeBron goes out, I don't think it should be for Lance necessarily. I think maybe it should be back for Ingram. And then you're empowering Ingram to be this guy who has the ball in his hands more. And maybe that goes hand in hand with that conversation that you're talking about Luke having with him. Where, look, we're going to empower you more. We're going to give you more touches. These more touches do not translate to you shooting the damn ball every single time. We've got finishers. You're one of them. But you're not the only one. You know what I mean? I'm concerned at what the production level would look like from a passing standpoint. But the Lakers need to have the answer to this question about Brandon Ingram by the end of the season. About what his fit is and can he be the second guy to him or or a tertiary guy. of We can give you the ball and you can produce as a playmaker, not just as a scorer, but can you create open shots for yourself and others. I don't feel confident enough in the capabilities of this team to like play around with stuff and experiment with stuff too much. So that's why I kind of like, it makes me a little bit nervous, right? It gives you a little bit of pause. It gives you a little bit of pause. I get it. But at the end of the day, like even if the answer isn't the one that we want, we need to get the answer either way by the end of this season. Look, man, like, we know that when he was fully empowered and injuries played a huge part in this last season, he actually showed that he had that little bit of mix of everything to him. Mm-hmm. That fed into the idea that you discussed about Ingram earlier in in the pod, this sort of sevens across the board type of guy. 
When Lonzo was out, he had that really good stretch where he was basically like a 25-5 and guy. He's not going to be that guy on a LeBron James team. But I think he could play that style if you're empowering him a little bit more, especially in lineups that aren't necessarily LeBron heavy. But even playing next to LeBron, I think you need to give him more chances. And if you play Ingram on second units as sort of a more featured guy, but you play him next to Rondo, who is a really good sort of organizer and doer of point guard things, and on the back line, you have him paired with like a Tyson Chandler, who is going to be, I think, a steadier defensive presence and maybe help just bring the backline defense together in a more consistent way. And then maybe then you do play him with Kuzma. And then you play him with like KCP. A Rondo, KCP, Ingram, Kuzma, JaVale lineup. That's an interesting mix of guys. That's four bench players and a starter. Yeah. I, I think you mean uh, Chyson Chandler instead of JaVale, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Chandler mm-hmm. instead of JaVale. And and I think that that's an interesting mix, right? So that's that bears out a nine-man rotation. And that comes at the expense of Lance Stevenson. And so does that mean Lance goes, well, goes away forever? No, it doesn't. But I think that there's probably a nice mix between the four to five minutes he played against Minnesota and the 20 to 24 five minutes that he's been playing most of the rest of the season. Yeah, I think with Lance, I think the right thing to do is what Luke did against Minnesota in that I think you give him a shot in that late first quarter, right? See, what Lance do we have tonight? And there are times, like when Lance has it going, it's very obvious that he has it going, right? There's nothing subtle about his game, good or bad. And so I think you put him out there early on and and go with the 10-guy rotation. And depending on what version of him you get, is going to determine whether you're a nine-man rotation in that second half. Well, let me jump in really quickly because what I would say is, is it's not necessarily if Lance has has it going or not. It's it's more, are you doing the stuff that we told you you need to be doing? Yes. No, that's fair too, right? Like, are you doing dumb things as well, along because with Lance going? Because yeah, Lance no, went totally. to the damn bench because he had that horrid isolation possession, you know, where it was Lance make him dance, but... I honestly think even if he makes that shot, that Luke is still probably like, if I see one more of those, you're out the game. But that play was not successful, and so he just got him the hell out of there. No, I think you're right on that. One last thing in regards to your let's give Brandon the ball more. I think the Lakers would be well served to be more intentional with how they have LeBron off of the ball. I think they can do some pretty cool things with that, with the number of ball handlers that they have, with Brandon being one of them, that you can get some additional benefit out of having Brandon with the ball because you get to get LeBron in different positions where he's behind the defense and things like that. I think they that when LeBron's been on the court, he's had the ball in his hands too much in the half court in a way that they're not getting as much out of him off of the ball that, that they could. So. I'm with you on all of this. I, I, I'm with you on the lineup, and I'm with you on the, we need to get that answer about Brandon one way or another. And this may be a way to kind of make everybody happy, including Brandon, in terms of his role and how he fits in with this. I'm a little nervous on what the results will be, but, you know, I, I do think it's a good way of looking at it. I just think they need to take their lumps, man. 
I don't want to take lumps, man. Hey, man. We took lumps for know. five damn years, Darius. Like, this is the fun season. This is when it gets fun again. I'm with you 100%. I'm also pretty high on this kid, and I've been for a while. I don't know if it's LeBron sort of trying to prop him up. Like, that's a cynical perception of this. But mm-hmm. LeBron has very flattering things to say about Ingram and speaks about him in ways that he doesn't necessarily speak about any of the other players that are on the team. LeBron's a very strategic person. Yes. And yes, I think that everything he says is for, you know, if not one specific reason, like it's it's to sort of go in a certain direction. And And, and so look, like I'm not saying that we take it word for word and like that's that but lebron has the ability to gas up Hart as much as he wants and gas up kuzma as much as he wants and gas up lonzo as much as he wants and the guy that he's choosing to gas up is brandon ingram and i think one of the reasons that he's doing that is because of all of those guys that i just mentioned ingram ceiling is probably above all of them You know, and we've talked about this before, just in terms of the tools and the ability that that can be unlocked because of those those tools. He's not a selfish player. He has all of this offensive and defensive potential. And I think LeBron probably looks at him and is just like, you know what? Yeah, I kind of want the six nine guy with the seven four four wingspan and the guy who can initiate offense and shoot the three ball and get to the rim and draw fouls and guard shooting guards and small forwards and power forwards. I kind of want that guy to be at his best. Yeah, he's the most important guy on this team. The version of what this team looks like if Ingram is hitting on all cylinders is probably a better team than if you said that about any of the other young guys in the core. The Lakers need him to be that though but this is a year though where like the rubber needs to hit the road and it has to stop being uh in theory or he's going to get there like he is not going to be his fully formed version of himself at the age of 21 i understand that but it has to stop being theory and has to become actual production yes and and right now he's a 16 4 and 2 guy on 50 percent two-point shooting and 40% 40% three-point shooting. He's also, like, amongst the worst rebounders on the team. Yes. He's uh, upside-down assist to turnover. He's very low on true shooting percentage, despite those those numbers that you gave. He's eighth on the team in that, yeah. And, and his PER is low, and I understand that there are, there are metrics on both sides of this, and I value all of them because they paint the full picture. I'm just saying that... He is producing now in a role that I don't necessarily think is the role that is really trying to optimize him. And I think that if what you said is true, and I know you meant besides LeBron James, but that Ingram's probably the most important of the players, I think that the Lakers then should be trying to optimize him in real ways. And this goes back to our early discussion about Lonzo too. I want them doing the same thing for Lonzo Ball. You know, like of all the four core young players, Ball and Ingram are the two most important and Hart and Kuzma are the guys whose roles 
should fluctuate the least because they are going to be most productive within more narrow roles. Yeah, it's easy to see what their like roles going forward are going to be. They're more clearly defined. Yes, th like their roads can widen some, but when they narrow, the production is still going to be there. I want I want you dropping Lonzo in and Ingram in a wide open pasture and basically saying, make your own damn road. They have the two-way potential and the ability to sort of have offense funnel through them as creators and distributors that those other two guys don't have. And not only do they not have it now, I don't think their ceilings are particularly high in those specific areas, which doesn't diminish them as valuable players, but it diminishes them in terms of what their overall ceiling is compared to the other two guys. Very much so. Well, we got, I think, a nine-game stretch, uh, maybe a 10-game stretch of fairly winnable games. I'm hoping they can get on track and start, you know, paving some of that pasture over in this period of time. I think that the hardest part is behind us. So I'm hoping that what we discuss specifically as it pertains to both Brandon and Alonzo, we start to see the beginnings of that. So um, thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast, and we will catch you guys next time. Just give me a chance to think. It takes <laughs> me a little while to get wound up. I know it does take you a while to think. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right, in my book. <laughs> Will you get these idiots out of here? Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.